0: I've not been able to watch much of the Olympics, Winter Olympics this year. I used to really, uh, you know, I, like, I just like watching the Olympics. It's fun. Winter, summer, it just doesn't matter. I just kind of like it. Well, some of it I don't like all of it. I, I, I'm not quite into curling yet. To me, it seems like shuffleboard, but a lot heavier and a lot more work. I don't understand at all. Uh, there's some of the things I don't understand but as Americans they pretty much only show stuff that they think we understand anyway so I I noticed that in the medal count we're way behind Uh, you know but but, uh, we still kind of put it out there like we're not but anyway uh, that's okay it's kind of fun if you I I do watch the updates I try to catch the updates to see you know who's who's winning uh, not who's winning but what what People have done and how some of the things have have worked. One of the things that has um, got my attention is the uh, the skiing and the snowboarding. Um, I like downhill skiing, cross country skiing. They do this biathlon thing, which uh, you know they ski and they shoot. I'm not sure how those two go together, but if you're Nordic, maybe they do. And But one of the things I noticed is when they get to the end, they all pretty much collapse after they cross the finish line. And I'm thinking, that's because you don't know how to ski. (laughs) They shoosh themselves across. Skiing is meant to go downhill. Gravity, that's my kind of skiing, where gravity is on your side and helping you get down the hill. Now, if you've watched any of this skiing and snowboarding, you have seen these, these pictures with these blue lines. And, you know, I, all of these blue lines on, on the course, on, on the courses as they're, as they're going through that. And I was, you know, I thought, well, it, it's kind of a, a good thing, you know, it helps them be able to, to see where they're going, certainly. And um, I saw a report there that was from a skier. And she was saying that uh, the blue lines have really helped them in in a lot of ways. It gives them depth perception because sometimes you'll see the lines. you see some of those lines are going across. And it helps them with depth perception as they're looking down the course. And it helps them to stay on course. And as they're going down the hill, uh, they can not only see the blue lines where they're at, but they can glance up and they can see what's ahead. Now... This skier in this report that I had read, uh, interestingly enough, it was on blue lines. But anyway, uh, she had said, I spend two to three hours on that course studying those blue lines. She says, and it takes me 90 seconds to ski down the hill. Two to three hours studying those blue lines for her 90-second run down the hill. She said, because then when I'm on that hill, because I have taken that time and I have studied what's there, she said, then as I'm going, I only need to glance over there. And she said, and it helps me to stay on course, and it helps me to remember where I'm at. And I thought, wouldn't it be a great thing if we could have blue lines guiding us through life? Wouldn't that be kind of cool? You know, like when you leave here, you know, you go out there, and boom! There were those blue lines, you know right, right, you know, right there for you. And I thought, you know, that we don't have blue lines. I don't want to disappoint you, but you probably realize that. Uh, if you are seeing blue lines, get help. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, we do have guidance from God to help us. We have that guidance from God to help us stay on course to know where we're to go through life and how we're to go through life and to know what's next. And, you know, today we're going to study the course a bit. Now, not for two to three hours. But I would encourage you, if this is the only only time that you are in the Word of God, you're going to crash in life. You just are. You need to get into God's Word more than just the time that we're here. If this is if this is it for you, you know, then then you're gonna you're gonna struggle. You're gonna struggle as you go as you go through life. I mean, certainly this is a help and it should be a help, but you need more than this. Two to three hours. I was impressed. Two to three hours they study this, and I thought to myself, "What are you looking at?" You know, I mean. I, Two to three hours for a 90 second run. You know, it is, it, we're going to look a little bit to study the course, if you will, to see how God can help us, how God can guide us as we barrel through life. They She was saying they go 90 miles an hour down that hill. Yeah, that's what I said. Whoa. I'm surprised you don't break more than a leg when you fall. Yeah, but. Uh, They can go that fast because they've obviously practiced, but they've studied the course as well. Let's pray and we're going to get into studying a little bit of the course for us. Father, thank you for your word which is there to guide us, direct us, encourage us, challenge us, correct all of these things uh, that go on that you've given it to us. You've, you've, you've not only laid the word out there, you've given us your spirit to help us see, to help us understand, to help us to know. I pray that today that your spirit would work in very clear ways, that our time together here would be one where you are guiding and directing, where you are are helping us to see and to know. Um, as we study here, Father, I don't think it's just for this time when we're together. When we leave here, these are some of the things you're going to want us to know, You You're the things you're going to want us to understand. Uh, things that will be directing us through life so i pray that we will be drawn into your word and into your heart continue your transforming work and power we pray in christ's name amen we're going to be in colossians chapter three turn there flip there turn you know however it is that you're doing it on your phone ipad or by golly you may have a bible uh you know and you can open it up or pew bible in front of you there it's on page 1085 in the pew bible just a reminder for you, Paul never, we have no record of Paul ever visiting Colossae. Uh, Paul did not, he did not go there and start this church. Uh, he, you know, when you read Ephesians, Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesians. Uh, when you read Philippians, Paul went to, went to Philippi. But it was probably when he was, when he was at Ephesus that some of those who were in Ephesus uh, heard him speak and took the the message took the truth back to Colossae, and paul had never been there but he he had a heart for these people still and he wrote to them so what we're reading is part of what he wrote to some people that he never met never had the opportunity to sit down and talk with about the things of God and about the things of the Lord. But these are some of the things he felt were important for them to know, even though he never had the opportunity uh, to to go and to spend time with them. So here is part of what he told them. Beginning of verse 1, Colossians chapter 3, he says, So if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. When the Messiah who is your life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, Because of these, God's wrath is coming on the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now you must also put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator, in Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all. And in all, now that's pretty much as far as we're going to be able to get today, and we'll see how that works out. You'll notice in verse one. Verse one starts out with, in the Holman Christian Standard, it says, "So if." The other translations are very similar. it Says, "If then," King James says, "If ye then." As I know, it's King James you got the "ye" in there. Um, uh, uh, no, well, another one says, "Therefore." I think the NIV says, "Since." Um, now this is this is a, a transition in his letter from what was more doctrinal teaching in chapters one and two that we've been looking at for a number of weeks to now he is moving and transitioning into more the practical living out of our union with christ he's saying here's here's the doctrine here's the teaching and here's about your relationship with christ and what he's saying is now here is how this relationship is to affect your living how it's to change your living when if if you got married um and you after you got married and you now then live you know and reside and do more and more living with your spouse your life changes and it is affected by that relationship if it isn't you're gonna be divorced before too long you know i mean if it isn't you're in trouble because you can't keep living like a single person when you are married that's that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to think that you can. It's ridiculous to think that you should. It's ridiculous to think. It's a ridiculous statement for your partner to believe that when you asked them uh, to get married, that you meant they were going to get married and you were just going to keep living how you, how, you, you know, how you please as a single person. This is what Paul is saying. Therefore, you've made this commitment of a relationship to Christ, and you've made this commitment of a relationship. So he's saying, now here is how some of that practical stuff works out. Here's how some of the, some of the things unfold there. You know, because it really does no good for us to declare and even to defend the truth of a relationship with Christ and then fail to demonstrate that relationship through our daily living. To Titus, this is what part of what Paul wrote. He said to the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. There's a difference there. He says, in fact, uh, both their mind and consciences are defiled. Here it is: they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They profess to know God, but deny Him by their living. They're detestable, disobedient, and disqualified. For any good work. They profess, he says, those who profess to know God but deny Him by the way they're living, notice what he says. Detestable, they're disqualified. Because it doesn't matter what they're saying. What they're saying is drowned out by the way they live. Sometimes for us, what we are saying is drowned out by the way we live. They can't hear us talk about Christ because our living is obliterating that in such a, such a, a, a horrendous way that, that when we talk to them about Jesus, it just bounces right off. It doesn't even get there because they're thinking, you, you know, you, you're telling me about something that doesn't mean a thing to you. And the flip side is also true. When your life reflects the transformation and, and the relationship with Christ, then when you begin to talk to people and you begin to tell them, and then they can see that that is out that that is working out in your life. That you know that no, not that you're perfect, but you know what that you got that that you you, you got a direction in life, you have a goal in life, you have a stability in life, and they can begin to see that, and then they 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 will begin more to listen to you. But if if it's not if the living's not not there and this is what Paul's saying it's not just the doctrine he says now you know so then therefore because of that here is some of the living that needs to get out I just have three thoughts know, from Colossians from these verses here that if if you keep them in mind They will help help guide you, like those blue lines. They will help guide you as you're barreling through life. They will help you keep your living on course with the relationship you claim to have. Now, the first thing, the first thought is to look up. Look up. Those first four verses. Now... This very intentionally has two applications for us as as we think about this. Um, the first one I see here is, you know, is to look up to that which is in line with Christ. You know, look up, aim high, look up to those things that are in line with Christ, those things that are in keeping you know in keeping with who He is. If you have a relationship with with Jesus, if Christ is in you, seek those things that are worthy of god notice what he says seek what is above where the messiah is you know you you, you look up and you, you know you, you are seeing you're not you're not you're not just wrapped up in the mundane but you you are looking up to those things those things that are above where the messiah is those things that are keeping notice what it says seek those things seek those things Diligently looking for it, it it expresses a continuation of of effort that you continue to seek, put real effort he says, put real effort into more than just earthly things, but look up to see those things that are worthy of God, those things that are in heaven, those things that 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 are above you know that are worthy of God, not just you know not just worthy of being above where it's those things that are worthy of being where jesus is seated he says here at the right hand of god the father things that are above things that are in the presence of god are holy they are holy they are not questionable you know, it's it's not it's not that. Quite. They are things that are holy. They are set apart for God's use. They are they are cleansed and purified by God. They are things that are devoted to God, and they they are they are in, in keeping and in line with His character. You know, they're in line with His with who He is. You know, keep in mind you know those things. Aim higher. He says, set your sights higher. Now, a second application I get for this is right there in, in verse 2, and that's to look beyond the present circumstances. Because, you see, we can get all caught up in those, but those present circumstances will change. He says, set your minds on what is above, not on what is on earth. Set your mind intentionally, habitually direct and redirect your thinking to what is above rather than what is on earth you know now when he's talking about you know what is on earth and what is some of the translations say worldly that is in scripture as you read that that is something that is separated and devoid of god this is what he's talking about when he says, you know, not, not on the earthly. He's, he's not saying that you don't pay attention to, to life and what you're doing and what you're living. You do, because we are called to be his in all things, and we're called to be stewards for him of all things. Our time, our possessions, and all of those things. But it's those things that are devoid of god he says don't get caught up don't get caught up on what is separate from god what is devoid of god he says approach all approach all of these earthly endeavors with god in mind you know with him in mind and with god as your focus and as your goal many of you are going to go to work tomorrow who do you work for you work for God, I mean scripture's pretty clear on that you get and you get your paycheck from someone else you know from an, a company or something um, you know, but but you you work for God, so how you do your job should be reflecting of what's what's in heaven, not what's on earth you know so some of the think of some of the discussions, think of some of the some of the um, arguments, some of the you know even some of the ways of doing things. You say, well, you don't, understand, you don't understand my job. I guess I would say you don't understand God if you think that it's okay to do your job in a manner that doesn't bring joy to his heart, that isn't in keeping with his character and with his quality. I was asked when I was, when I was doing the uh, welding and millwright work, they sent me out, you know, we were in Chicago, sent me to General Mills to uh, do a job. I had to go out there and and change the drive system on this motor for the plant that uh, ground wheat into flour. And it was a seven-story plant. There is a motor in the bottom of this plant that was as big as me. It's an electric motor. And that was in a sealed room. It was sealed as in had outside air, and was the doors were caulked shut with sil- and sealed with silicone. Well, they obviously had to open it up so I could get in there and work, you know, because this motor drove all seven floors of the equipment. On the, From the motor, there was a shaft that came through the wall that had different seals on it uh, that sealed it so that none of the flour could get in by this motor because It's explosive, and a seven-story explosion is not a pretty thing. So uh, I had to go out there to change the drive system on this motor. All seven floors are shut down. They're not running. Uh, On the other side of this wall was a a, a shaft with pulleys, and his wide belt went up through the ceiling. You know and you go up to the next floor they're coming up through the floor and and it was that way all all the way up it's just an amazing thing so i'm going out there to do this job in chicago inside the city limits chicago is an extremely and it was even more so then an extremely union driven environment and if you were going to work you better belong to the union I worked in a non-union shop in the suburbs. They were sending me out there to do this, to do this job. And they said to me, now, you know, if they ask you, you know, tell them you're in the union. I said, I'm not going to do that. I said, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. Well, you know, you, you won't be able to work there. I can't help it. You see, God tells me lying is not not in keeping with who He is. It's not in keeping with His character. In fact, that's one of the things that's listed here in this list that we're going to get to in a little bit. You know, and we have to we have to order our lives in a way that is that is in line with who God is. He needs to be our focus. He needs to be our goal. Now, he reminds us why here. He says, we have died to the things of earth. Now, the only power the things of earth then have is what we allow them, what we give them once again in our life. He says, because you've died to that. Our life is to be so connected to God that people who see us and who know us and actually see God rather than us, because what does it say here? Our life is actually hidden. Our living is hidden in Christ. That the way we that the way we we live is so saturated with God that what they will see is is, is is God there Romans chapter 6 puts it this way he says what should we say then should we continue to sin so that grace may abound that the grace may multiply yeah I'm change translations here so that God may multiply absolutely not some of the translations say God forbid. You know we can't do. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He says. You know, if you've died to, our living should be different because of our relationship with Christ. It should be different than the, than 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 the earthly things. Remembering earthly is those things separated from God, devoid of God, and not, not you know God doesn't matter to them. And our living our need living needs to be different than that. They need to be by God's standards, not not. Not man's standards and values, but God's standards and values. Look what He says in verse four: "When the Messiah, who is your life, what would it take for you to say, to really say, to really mean that Jesus is your life?" We just got done with Valentine's Day, and Valentine's Day is a day in which we express our love, you know, to our to our our mate or our you know our, our beloved. Uh, and eat chocolate don't don't forget to eat chocolate parts eat chocolate parts good day after thanksgiving <coughs> i saw a, a thing online that has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon but uh, so let's forget it anyway um, you know so the uh, uh, you know you you have you have i, I lost my place Oh, yeah, 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 Valentine's Day. And so uh, the, the, um, uh, you know, we, we proclaim our love. Now, one of the expressions, one of the expressions that you'll sometimes hear, you know, is somebody I, I can say, you know, you are my life. And we'd mean that, wouldn't we? We would mean that when we're talking to our mate. We should mean it. We should, we should have a commitment to Christ that is even deeper than that. A deeper connection to Jesus than that. You know, when he says, the, the, the Messiah who is your life. We need to realize all that Jesus brings into our life and into our living. Some of the things he went over in his first couple of chapters, you know, that cleansing from sin. The cleansing, you know, the cleansing from sin. Ken and I were just talking before the service, you know, and back on, on uh, you know, when we looked at, uh, when he said that certificate, your certificate of debt was nailed to the cross. We have that, that cleansing from sin. We have that connection to the Father. We have adoption into God's family. We have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We have the very presence of Jesus himself. We, when we realize these things more, it brings. It brings. It, it, it should deepen that connection. In First John, it says, "The one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life." Paul said that to Philippians. He said, "For me, living is Christ." your life hidden. Look up beyond your present circumstances and look at what is in line with Christ. Look up. The second thought from verses 5 to 9, end the worldly. End the worldly. I already already told you. By worldly is meant those things which are empty of God. The things that are empty of God. The things where God doesn't even enter into the picture. Notice what it says, you know, in verse 5 there. It says, therefore, so in order order to look up, in order to set your minds on what is above, which we just saw in verse 2, in order to do that, he says, put to death whatever is worldly. Put to death, and again, that takes intentional effort from us. You know, it it takes intentional effort. I was going to, (laughs) this point, you know, the, uh, this point originally was going to be uh, kill the worldly but in light of stuff that's gone on this week I just couldn't do that <laughs> you know but he's talking about you know you, you, you end the worldly and so whatever it is you know you put to death that takes intentional effort from us and it won't happen without consistent and repeated effort from us we say old habits die hard. They do, but they better die. They better die. You know, and sometimes it's, it's some, there are some things we just need to cut out of our lives. When Ginny and I came into a relationship with Christ, and, you know, and I began to realize some of the way we were living just wasn't, wasn't certainly wasn't in keeping with Christ. And we had a group of friends that really our connection with them was we used to party together. That was, whenever we were with them, that's what happened. Period. I mean, that's all it was. I, I can remember, you know, we were we, at different places, and and uh, uh, all of all the you know the men were in the kitchen, and uh, and you know we we're, were we were drinking, and got to the point where you know. You, you're toasting the, the, the spoon on the wall. Spoon on the wall. I mean, wait, what, what, what this is what we did with this group of people. And then I remembered when we, you know, when we came to Christ. I'd love to be able to tell you that immediately. I stopped all that stuff. I didn't. But then I got to the place where I realized this is really inconsistent. <laughs> this is really inconsistent with you know, with uh, relationship with Christ. Extremely clear. Scripture is very clear. It says, "Do not be drunk." period, that's that's what I did with these people and Ginny and I decided, you know, that we were going to cease that stop that and so what I did is I walked back to the closet at the end of the hall because the closet at the end of the hall is where I had all of this, all of these bottles of alcohol and we took them out and dumped them down the toilet you've got to take some action if you're going to make a change and stop these things and cut them out of your life, and I can still remember, I still got the picture in my head. We went over to these friends' houses this one couple's house. Um, we went there, you know, and their intention was that we were going to party like we always did. And I can still remember sitting in their living room in Joliet, Illinois, you know, and Jenny and I just talking, and he grabs, you know, a bottle of whiskey and. You know, and I said, i oh, want any He thought I was kidding. I mean, why wouldn't he? This is what we always did together. You know, and stuff. And, and then Ginny and I just tried to explain to them, you know, God's got, we, we've committed our life to Christ. I don't remember the exact words, you know. We've committed our life to Christ, and we really need to be living for him. And we need our life more in line with him. And, and this isn't in line with that, you know, and try to explain that to him. That was the last time we saw that couple more by their choice than ours I mean they just they, they didn't, didn't want that connection anymore you put to death these things he says you put to death and it's a consistent repeated effort of whatever it is whatever because that's what it says notice what it says put to death what? Whatever in you is worldly. We don't pick and choose. We don't pick and choose these things. God's laid out those things and those things that are against him. He says, you put to death, you cut out, you remove from your life those things which are against him, those things which have nothing to do with him, those things that don't draw you, anything, everything here that keeps us from God, that keeps us from growing in God, needs to be cut off and needs to be cut out of our life. It is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Now, Paul gives a short list of examples here. It's not an exhaustive, exhaustive list at all, but there's some items that we need to be aware of. He listed some of these items you know, for the Colossians that they needed to be aware of. And if they're part of your life, he says you need to put them to death. You need to quit feeding them. You need to quit feeding them, you know, and you need to work to cut them out of your living. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. You know, we could do a whole sermon just on these things. I'm I'm just going to quickly run through them. If you're trying to write some things down and don't get frustrated and lose your place, get online and listen to the sermon later and you can hit pause and, you know, and and write down what you want to. But notice what he he starts with there. He says sexual immorality. Now, let me just point this out to you. It's sexual immorality as defined by God, not as defined by our society. Did you get that? Write that one down. It is defined by God. It is not as defined by our by our society. Because it, not not only has it changed, it will continue to change in our society. Now, sexual immorality. You know, now this this is this is more than just your body. Because part of what this is, it's anything, that involve, it's, it's, it's anything that involves sharing something that should only be between you and your spouse, and you're sharing it with someone else, other than your spouse. And you say, well, I can't talk to my spouse about this. And don't talk to anybody else about it. Sexual immorality goes on. He says, impurity. This is broader. This is broader than just sexual things, although sexual things certainly are included. Uh, the, the word is it, it speaks about anything that demeans the character or integrity or morals of either yourself or another person. It demeans the morals, defiles the morals of either yourself or another person. Impurity, lust. Some of the translations say passion. Uh, here, it's, it's anything that makes you desire someone other than your spouse. Certainly, pornography enters into this, and pornography is a wide-listed thing. It doesn't just necessarily have to be naked people, because it, it, it's, it's whatever turn, what is ever turning you on uh, physically that is not your spouse, because what it does is it draws you towards them. And he says, you need to cut this out of your life, this lust, this, this misdirected directed passion. It makes you, it, 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 it's that uh, lust that's driving, you know, desires. It has something, you know, to, to have something or someone that we don't have. And it's often something or someone that someone else has. You know, and if, if it's left unchecked, if it's allowed to live in us, it will lead us to compromise our walk with Christ. It will lead us to compromise that walk with Christ. Put it to death, he says. goes on, he says, evil desires. Now, those are those things that are not centered on or aiming for God and improving living with, with it. You're either for Christ or against him. You're either for God or you're against him. But it's forward or reverse. There is no neutral. It's forward or reverse. And Everything you're involved in is either pulling you toward God or, it's, or, or pushing you away from God and he said this is what it, those evil desires you know they're they're often more self-centered than god-centered we need to move on greed oh we hate it when he puts this one in there don't we i mean really come on Is greed as bad as sexual immorality or impurity or lust. come on yeah it is he says some of the translations say covetousness what that means is greed this is just as destructive as the previous things. The greed is the, it, it's the gathering, the stockpiling of more simply sometimes for the sake of having more. Oh, well, but we don't we don't know what's going to happen. Is your trust in God or in your stuff? I'm not saying don't have savings. God calls you to be a proper steward and a steward. But you know, it, it's sometimes we, we sacrifice you know what God wants us to do in order to stockpile more stuff. Greed is often at the result of depriving others. That's what greed is. Never being satisfied with what you have. Always wanting more. Always wanting more of things and of pleasures. It's not just stuff. It's not just money. It's idolatry, he says. It's idolatry because it places our dependence on something other than God. It places our dependence and our trust on money and on things other than God. Mark chapter 7, he says, From within, out of people's hearts. It's a heart issue. It's still a heart issue. Out of people's hearts comes evil thoughts, sexual immoralities. Hmm, didn't we see some of these things before? Thefts, murders, adulteries, greed. There it is again. Evil action, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All of these evils, he said, come from within and defile a person. It's a heart issue. These defile and destroy you like a rotten spot on a potato. Oh, you ever smelled rotten potatoes? Oh, you ever smelled a lot of rotten potatoes? When I was a kid, I worked at a grocery store, and uh, you know we had to do the produce section. And I can remember my first encounter with a bag of rotten potatoes. <gasps> 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 it's just unpleasant. You have a rotten potato. What you really want to, what you really try to do at home is you store all the other potatoes around it. Put it in the center. We wouldn't do something like that, would we? If you do, you don't know how to cook and talk to your mate, so you should not be doing the groceries. But you see, there's, 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 there's the picture. You know, there's, there's the the, the picture he has for us. You remove whatever defiles. That's why we need to put these things to death. That's why we need to stop allowing them. We need to stop feeding them in our lives. We would do well to sincerely pray Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart. It's a heart issue. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. A spirit, a heart that desires you. A spirit, a heart that pursues you, God. Create that heart in me. Look at verse 6 in Colossians 3 there. He says, because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. God's ra- we like to ignore God's wrath. We like to pretend that God's wrath doesn't exist. But I, I, I believe it's a minority of people, of a, a, a small number of people, who take the wrath of God properly. There's, there's two other extremes that come to it. You know, and I think the lesser of these extremes are people who misunderstand God's wrath, thinking of him only as a God of wrath, only as a God who is, who is angry and, and waiting for you to step out of line so he can unload on you. Uh, you know, I, I told you before, when I was raised, uh, I, I, I kind of thought God is the guy with the stick with the knobby end, and he was waiting for me to step out of line so he could go... You know, just give me a little whack on the head, and uh, uh, but I think that's the minority of people who see, uh, and right now, anyway, who see God as uh, who misunderstand the wrath of God in that way. I think the the larger group see God as a God of love, and He is a God of love. But what they see is all, all they see is you know that He's just this this God of love, you know, and it, it's, His love is so dominant that his wrath fades away it's like god is just this big teddy bear of love rob bell you know used to preach the gospel pretty clearly and stuff and he's fallen into this you know he's fallen into this thing and i forget the name of his book i think it was love of god or something wasn't it you remember anyway he you know i you know and he writes his book and this guy who used to share the gospel, and this is when it became pretty clear that he was wandering away. And you know, he just because in his mind, God's love, everyone was going to be saved because God, God just loves it. His love is so great. But yet, the wrath of God is very clear in Scripture, and this is one of the places. God's wrath comes on the disobedient. The, the verse is pretty clear that disobeying God has consequences. You know, and God's wrath shows that there is a right and wrong, and His wrath shows that right and wrong matter. That they matter. That it does make a difference. And verse 7 there shows us that, that we can leave sinful ways behind us. He says, because this is what some of you were. This is what some of you were. He said, but you see, we don't have to let it be a part of our life any longer. It doesn't have to be. Don't put up with sin in your life. Don't excuse sin in your life. Because of these, he says, God's wrath is coming on of disobedient. But this is what some of you were. God can bring a transformation about. There's another list in verses 8 and 9. There are sins to be aware of and sins to beware and don't allow them to remain. Don't, allow, don't feed them in your life. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, he's a a respected pastor back in the uh, late 18, early 1900s. I believe he died in the 1940s, I think. But at any rate, uh, he he called this list here, sins in good standing. Sins in good standing. Sins that we too often excuse and accept in ourselves and other people. But through Paul, God tells us, but now you must put away all of the following he doesn't say any of these are acceptable he says instead you must now that you have a relationship with christ he says one of the changes is that you must put away all of these every single one none of these should be a part of your life and again i'm going to move quickly and i'm not even going to i'm not going to go through the well the only way i'm going to go through the whole list is i'm going to group them for you a little bit here to help us remember them better it's not an exhaustive list again there's other things you can add but it's an important list notice the first three there he says anger wrath some of the translations say rage anger wrath malice these are, these are sins of a bad attitude. And a bad attitude that's, that's expressed toward others. Anger, you know, wrath, that bad attitude. Let's go on, slander and filthy language. That's unwholesome talk. You know, it's, it's you know, that bad attitude and here are the unwholesome talk, abusive language used to hurt others. And then he says, lying, lying. That's any misrepresentation of the truth, even if the words are accurate. What it talks about here is the intent to deceive. It speaks about the intent to deceive. You know, are we going to deceive someone with the truth? Satan's a liar. John chapter 8 says, you are the... Uh, you are of You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. has not stood in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. Satan is the father of lies. Jesus, on the other hand, we're told Jesus is the truth. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth And the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. The Holy Spirit, who he's given us, he refers to as the spirit of truth. He says he is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't know him, it doesn't see him, it doesn't know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. When you lie, you are cooperating with Satan. You are speaking his tongue, his language. When you lie, you're cooperating with Satan. When you tell tell the truth, you're cooperating with the Spirit of God. Who do you want to cooperate with? Lying is inconsistent with God's character. It's inconsistent with honoring God. He says, put these things away from you. He says, put them off. The picture there is like you would smelly, filthy clothing. Don't get used to your own stink. Don't get used to your own stink. When we used to go on those boundary water trips... You know, we'd be out there for a week, and and we'd be sitting around a campfire and sing around the campfire. Oh, it's campfire girls! And we'd be sitting around a campfire, and you know, the smoke is always blowing where, all right at you. It doesn't matter where you sit. You sit over here, and the smoke's blowing in your face. Ever notice that about a fire? And you go around the other side, and the smoke's blowing in your face? Ken will tell you why that happens after service, but I, you know, it's it's a scientific thing. Uh, So anyway, you know, we're out there and we're doing that, and and well, there's guess what? No showers in the uh, in the great outdoors, in the boundary waters, and and Quetico National Park. There's no, there's no showers, and so we, we you know, we get up from that, and uh, um, and you're wearing the same clothes pretty much all week. You don't bring a suitcase because everything's going in a canoe and all this stuff, you know. So you don't bring. Uh, my clothing was in a, they call it a compression sack, and they do that because you think you really push down on a suitcase to get everything in for your flight to Florida. Um, it's it's about this big around and about this tall. And we have eight days worth of clothing in there. And that's how we felt. Uh, you know, and, and so then you're out there and so then what you do is during the day after you after you get up from smelling like a campfire, you get up and you, you paddle and you work and you really work up a sweat because if it's cold you put on you put on on enough clothing so that you're warm when you're paddling the canoe and when you get to the to the portage area, you get all your stuff out of the canoe, you pick up your pack, you pick up the canoe and you start portaging over over to the other side and you get pretty warm in it, and so you're sweaty and well you stink a little bit you see well the thing is by the end of the week we don't know we stink really by the end of the first day they don't know you think you, you stink uh, you know it's a scientific fact that you know you get used to a smell I don't know how you can get used to some of them but they tell you you get used to a smell you know after a certain amount of time you're used to it well we were used to it we were used to the smell and we didn't think anything of it and you get all done and you know you you get to the to the place where you're going to be taken out and you meet the guy there with the van. There's nine of us. There's Ginny and I and seven kids. And we all know teenagers don't smell (laughs) after a week in the wilderness. Uh, Add to that the bug spray, the deet, because, you know, the mosquitoes will carry you away if you you don't. So, you know, we got all that deet on us on top of it all and and the bug spray. And we all pile in this van. And the driver's very polite. He never once says, you stink. He never once, no one says, open all the windows. I don't care if it's snowing. We didn't realize that until we get back. And it is like the best shower, one of the best showers you've ever had in your life. The other one was the year before when you took this same shower after being (laughs) out there for a week and you really still didn't realize how bad you smelled you would put all your clothes in a plastic bag and you go home we drive straight through to come home so it's not like it takes us a week to get home or anything but you know you drive there and i could always tell when Ginny was was doing the laundry from our trip because you open the bag and it's like (laughs) who was wearing these these things you know, because it just reeks. He says, put off this stuff from you. Put it off like you would, you know, like you would those smelly, filthy clothes. Don't get used to your own stink. End the worldly in your life. The third thought, very quickly, from verses 10 and 11. I was thinking I was on the last point. Surprise. Uh, Put on the godly. Put on the godly. Now, the godly is that which draws us to Christ. That's what it is. It's that which draws us to Christ. We put off the old self, those things which are empty of God, and those things which are opposed to God. You put off the old self, he says, and notice what he says, then you put on the new self, those things which draw us to God, those things which draw us to Christ, those things which build us up in Christ. Put off those old smelly things that are taking you away from God. But put on these things that are drawing you to God. Our whole nature must be exchanged. It's not it's not. So simply a remodeling. He says, you put it off, you know, like 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 you do clothing and you put it off and you put on you put on this something else. You put off those things that identified you as as somebody separate from God and you put on if you will those God clothes. You put on those things that help identify you with God. The whole nature. Notice what he says, you are and I like this, being renewed. Constantly it speaks of something that a constant renewal here you know it's phrased you know that it 's an ongoing process, an ongoing process it's with a relationship with Jesus we should be we should be being obviously renewed in our living transformed to reflect god 's character more and more. you see, we were formed in god 's image. And then we were deformed by sin. But then we are transformed into the image of God through Christ. One of the transformations is highlighted there in verse 11. He says, in Greek in Greek. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, sentient, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. Let me just real quickly take you from their, you know, from their culture into our culture today. Notice what he's saying. You know, our, standing in, our standing in Christ does not remove the differences. What it removes are the divisions. It doesn't remove the differences. It removes the divisions. The verse highlights four divisions that were very common for them. Some of them have hung on today as well. Uh, the first is nationalities. He says there's no, there, there's no Jew or Greek. You know, those, those divisions of nationality. Uh, the second one would be religious, circumcised and uncircumcised. That's all it was, what it was in, in the minds of, of the Jews. There was circumcised and uncircumcised. The circumcision being that... that, that uh, um, Sign of a commitment to Christ, of being a a, a a person of the covenant of God, and in that covenant with God. You know, and so you have that religious, those religious things that that separate us. And then culturally, cultural barbarian or synthian It says barbarian to them. Um, the barbarian meant uh, someone who says barbar. But, sorry, but that's what it means. Uh, you know, and, and what it meant is somebody who just barely does it. They didn't speak Greek. That's what they meant. They didn't speak Greek. And he said, so they were, but, but you see, the Scythian was worse. He wasn't just disconnected. He was a scumbucket. He says, and there, there are no more cultural differences there. And no, and no social or economic, slave, slave or free. You know, so he's talking about nationalities, religion, you know, culture, and the social or economic things. He says, and there are, there are the differences exist, but the division, divisions should not. These, these things should not divide us. We should not, you know, we should not be divided because of external differences, or because of different cultures, or because of different preferences, or because of different social standing. You know, these distinctions here of race, class, culture, economic positions should not be allowed to divide us. Don't let that happen. Raise your sights. Raise your sights to see God and his calling as you barrel through life. As you barrel on through life. Raise your sights. Look up and see beyond your current circumstances you know, to what it is, to, to, to those things that are in line with Christ. And the tolerance for worldly in your own life the tolerance for those things which are empty of God and put on the godly, those things which draw you to and build you up in Christ. Raise your sights. Let's pray.